Man, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, thanks for being a part of, of us today. Uh, if you've gotten some coffee, cool. If you haven't, you should. Uh, we're going to just pretty much dive into our time. Um, and if you're new, there should be some cards on the chairs. They're called Connect Cards. Man, fill one of those bad boys out. Drop it in the offering basket later on during service, and we'd love to connect and hang out with you sometime this week, should you allow us to. Uh, number two, go ahead and open your Bibles with me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. We're only going to be looking at one verse today. So that's Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. You can open your Bibles or you can load your Bibles. And while you're doing that, I'm going to ramble a little bit, and then we'll dive into our time so two weeks ago, this being the third one, so I guess three weeks ago, I don't know, one of those, right? A couple of weeks ago, we started a new sermon series on the Beatitudes. Uh, late spring, we found ourselves in the book of Philippians. We've taken a break from Philippians uh, during the summer, and so we're walking through the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are this section of scripture uh, that's ultimately called the Sermon on the Mount. And it is uh, walked through and written in the book of Matthew in chapters 5, 6, and 7. The Beatitudes are a section of chapter 5, really verses 1 through 12. And that's what we're using this summer to walk through. And so we started this a couple of weeks ago. And one of the beautiful things about the Beatitudes is that uh, we see Jesus go up onto this mountain. He sits down. He calls his disciples to himself. He teaches directly to them, but also to anyone else who's within an earshot. Whoever else can listen, man, he is speaking to those people. And so two weeks ago, we began with those who were poor in spirit. We'll review this in just a few minutes. Those who are poor in spirit. Last week, Sean preached on those who mourn and how they will be comforted. Today, we're going to be looking at those who are meek and how they inherit the earth. And so I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of content that comes with being meek or, or someone who's referred to as meek. Now, before we get into that, I'm going to read verse 5 of Matthew 5, and then, uh, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dive into our time. All right, here we go. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you uh, in this time of the preached word, Lord, uh, my prayer is that we would continue to worship you. My prayer is that you would break hearts, convict hearts for the purpose of, man, for the purpose of your glory, for the purpose of eyes being fixed on Jesus. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this time uh, that we get to hear your preached word. But in addition to that, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in the lives of those who are present and the hearts of those who are present, that hearts would be broken and softened, convicted and compelled, that ears would be opened, that eyes would be eyes and minds would be renewed as we look at your word. Additionally, Lord, I pray for, and uh, this has been a crazy week, so uh, Lord, I pray for the families who were and still are affected by uh, the, the weather uh, earlier this week. Lord, I pray that you would ultimately be their source of comfort um, and at the same time as they work on 
uh, rebuilding and just doing all the things that needs to get done, whether it's in their community or their neighborhood or in their house, that it would be done well, that provision would come their way um, so that they can get back on track, bringing you all that glory. So Lord, we thank you for this time. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. You guys ready? All right. Three people. Cool. <laughs> All right, here we go. Well, it's, it's a smaller crowd, so I thought I'd be a little bit interactive, but never mind. My mistake. That's what I get for trying to be polite. Um, okay, here we go. So we're going to review the Beatitudes a little bit. We're going back two weeks as we walk into uh, talking about meekness, okay? And so one of the things I taught on about two weeks ago are four things that the Beatitudes serve. Now, these aren't the only four things. I'm not saying that these are like the hardcore ones. I'm just saying these are four things that we're ultimately going to be looking at in terms of how the Beatitudes serves us. The first one... The first one, when we look at all the Beatitudes, or yeah, when we look at all the Beatitudes, one of the things that we need to, to really just encounter, really just accept is these Beatitudes are for all Christians. When you read through the Beatitudes, and we'll talk a little bit more about what I'm about to say in a bit, when you read through the Beatitudes, you very quickly realize that they can be kind of difficult, not just to comprehend, but also just to do. And so oftentimes in the church, uh, when Christians read through verses 1 through 12, they'll read the Beatitudes and be like, man, these are characteristics of some elite Christians. These are the characteristics of a group of special forces Christian people who just know how to knock these out. They have been gifted in so many different areas. This is totally not me. And I want you to know that that is false right? That when we read through verses 1 through 12 of Matthew 5, these are characteristics, or not just characteristics, but these are beatitudes for all Christians. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, these are for you. Number two, the characteristics talked about in the beatitudes are, again, to be displayed by all Christians. And what I mean by that is when we walk through each one of these beatitudes, you may be tempted to say, oh man, I'm definitely not poor in spirit, but I sure am meek. I really hunger for thirst, or or I I hunger and thirst for righteousness, but I don't know if I'm really persecuted. And so you have those kinds of conversations, right? Now, these are things that, these are characteristics that all Christians are ultimately going to display, right? But in our broken nature, we might display one more than the other, but that doesn't mean that you're one and not the other. That makes sense, okay? The third thing that we're going to look at, or that we are that the Beatitudes teach us is that the Beatitudes are not natural. As we walk through these, one of the things that you're going to be tempted with, or maybe you have already been tempted with, and maybe you've fallen, I don't know. When we walk through the Beatitudes, you're going to read through them, or some will read through them and say, I could totally do that. Yep, I've done that one. That's definitely been me. And so you will quickly become proud and legalistic when it comes to reading the Beatitudes because they are not natural to us, especially today. We're going to talk about meekness. And as we talk about meekness, you, can, you might feel compelled and even tempted to say, you know what? Yep, I'm pretty, I'm pretty meek. You've just ruined it. Let's just put it there. 
Okay, you've just ruined it with that thought or statement. So all of these beatitudes, they are not natural to the individual. All right? And then the fourth thing, the Beatitudes serve as a way to show us our need for Jesus and his grace in addition to, through his teaching, he is putting up a mirror to our faces. He is putting up a mirror to our faces so that we would not only see the depth of our sin, but so that we would also recognize our need for Jesus and his grace. And I think that's a beautiful picture. I think that's something we need to think about a little bit more, as hard as that is. And the reason I think it's hard is because you don't like being told that there are these things that we need to work on or that this, there's this condition of your heart that is callous and ultimately that is what we, we need to address. But the beautiful picture doesn't necessarily just come from the mirror. The beautiful picture comes from what we realize that, man, Apart from Jesus, we are separated. Uh, we are separated from him. And so the Beatitudes serve as a way to teach us, man, our need for him, our need for grace. Because these aren't natural, we can't knock them out in our own strength. Because these aren't going to come easy to us, we are going to need the righteousness of another and not our own, right? And so those are just four brief things to look at when we walk through the Beatitudes. And additionally, I would add this, that if, man, as you're here this morning, if you don't know Jesus, if you are not a Christian, man, welcome. Number one, welcome. So cool that you're here with us. Number two, why I think it's so cool that you're here with us is not just because you're cool, but number two, these characteristics are things that you should be looking at Christians on. These are the kinds of things that you should be looking at other Christians on. And so that would be an invitation Nevertheless, as we move forward in each of these Beatitudes, one of the things that we're, that's just going to come uh, kind of like a truck, one of the things that's going to be made quite evident is as we walk through these Beatitudes, not just today, but the ones to come, as we walk through them, we're going to notice that they are going to become increasingly difficult. They are going to be extremely humbling, or at the very least, they should Uh, They're going to become increasingly difficult, very humbling for us to obtain, and that's the whole point. That is the whole point. And as we review briefly, going back to verses 3 and 4, what Sean preached on last week, one of the things that we should see is that these are progressions. In other words, Jesus just doesn't just stay in one area. He continues to progress as he introduces each one of these beatitudes. And so by way of review, but also by way of entering into verse 5, here's what we see. First, to be poor in spirit means, if you weren't with us two weeks ago, to be poor in spirit, to be poor in spirit means to be spiritually bankrupt. You got nothing. You're absent of all pride. You realize that your righteousness counts as nothing. Some would call this that you realize the depth and totality of your depravity. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. That you recognize the depth and totality of your depravity. Once we get there, we go to where Sean preached on last week. Once we get to the depth of our depravity, we are now able 
to mourn our sin. We're able to mourn our sin. We're able to mourn the sin of others because we realize what it does. Sin separates us from one another. Sin separates us from God and ultimately tells us what sin does, that sin leads to death. One of the examples that Sean gave last week was that of Jesus and Lazarus. Lazarus is one of Jesus' friends. He dies. Jesus sees it. Jesus weeps. He's crying over the loss of his friend. But more importantly, it's well, actually I should say it this way. He's not necessarily just crying over the loss of his friend. He is weeping because he sees what sin does. Sin leads to death. And so for us as the individuals, being poor in spirit, recognizing that we are just totally depraved, recognizing that we are just spiritually bankrupt, that our righteousness counts for nothing, and that we need the righteousness of another, leads us to mourn our sin because we realize the separation that we have between us and God, between us and one another. And so we need a rescuer, a savior to come in and pull us out of that and make us his own, right? But we're talking about a progression. Once we're able to mourn our sin, the sin of others, and its result, we walk into what we're talking about today. Third, we begin to talk about meekness. We will quickly realize that this beatitude not only requires self-examination. When we talked about poor in spirit, when we talked about uh, mourning and those who are going to be comforted, all of those are, at the very least, those two are beatitudes that you self-examine. Those are things that come as a result of your conviction, of the condition of your heart. When we look at being meekness, it is part self, uh, self-examination. We are going to have to self-evaluate ourselves when we talk about what it means to be, uh, to be meek. But it's not just that. It's also the examination of ourselves by others. This one is Difficult because this means that you now have to invite others to speak into whether or not you are meek. On the first two, we could be individualistic and say, man, I am poor in spirit and not a soul could know. Man, I mourn my sin. And that would be totally true. I'm not knocking you if you did. This one gets really difficult because now it's like, man, I do need meekness. Right. Now let someone else speak into you. That's where it gets really rough. It gets uncomfortable. That's where people are like, man, the church just wants to know my business. Yes, right? That's the whole point. That is the whole point. And you cannot do this on your own. We cannot do this on our own. Meekness is not something that we bestow upon ourselves. Okay, let's Meekness is not something that we bestow upon ourselves. In fact, what I would add is the cry of Paul in Romans 7, right? I think he he realizes the kind of man he is. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So let's talk about meekness, okay? I think it's going to be really easy. I think it would be easier. Uh, That's a typo. It's actually verse five. That's my fault. Anyway, um, I had to point that out. When we talk about meekness, I think it's best to talk about what meekness is not. You guys just saw some of my, 
I'm sorry? Thanks, Emma. <laughs> Interactive, right? <laughs> okay. Hey, it's summer. Where was I? Meek, no, you're good. Man, you don't apologize, Emma. Um, meekness. Let's talk about what meekness isn't. Let's talk about what meekness isn't. Because I think when we talk about meekness, we run really quick to either misconceptions uh, or we run to things that really aren't necessarily true about meekness. So let's talk about three things. Meekness is not the numbers two and three are really going to stem forth from number one. But here it is. Number one, weakness. This is something that gets thrown around in the church. And I'm just not, I'm not just talking about storehouse. I'm talking about like church culture, right? This is one thing that gets thrown around quite often, right? That meekness means weakness. And by weakness, you could talk about several things, right? You can mean, uh, man, that maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe you, you let people walk all over you, like they take advantage of you. Um, you lack a, a phrase would be, you lack a spine, Right, uh, weakness would be in terms of uh, m- maybe your leadership skills, uh, decision making. Right, that you are weak. Meekness does not mean weakness. Right. The second thing that it does not mean is compromise. Same thing. Again, some of these could be derivatives of weakness, but when we talk about meekness or when it gets thrown around in the church, oftentimes it, uh, people will say that it means compromise. That you compromise on what. You believe. You compromise on uh, some foundational pillar of doctrine that you compromise on maybe even some of your own convictions. It does not mean compromise. And finally, number three, touching again on weakness, it's uh, passive. Meekness means to be passive, which is also something very common within the church to be thrown around. Oftentimes, Christians are uh, portrayed as passive individuals, right? You just let stuff happen. You don't really get involved in certain things. Um, Man, as a Christian, we are to be passive. And the truth is, you can be bold, you can be firm, you can be, uh, uh, what is it, confident, um, and be meek at the same time, right? Uh, But it does not mean passive, And so as we get into what it is, let me tell you, in terms of the practical stuff, before we get into the practical stuff, let me tell you what meekness is. This is the main idea. If you walk away with anything from our time other than laughing at me, here's what I would say. Uh, This is is the main idea. Meekness involves a work of the Holy Spirit and affects our relationship with God and others. Now, I'm going to break that down briefly before we get into some of this practical application stuff. Meekness involves a work of the Holy Spirit. In order to be poor in spirit, in order to mourn your sin, in order to be meek, what is required is not just a transformed heart, but it is the dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the individual. It is the dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the individual. This stuff is not possible for us because it will not come natural to us apart from the dwelling presence and work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's it. That's that's number one. You cannot do this on your own accord. You and I will fail. And the only way upon which these are even possible is through the dwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit, which affects our relationship with God, 
Because as the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, it affects how we view God. It affects how we see God. It affects who God is to us and what he has done. It reminds us of who we are in light of the work of Jesus on the cross. It affects our relationship with God. Additionally, it affects our relationship with one another. It affects our relationship with one another because as we see who we are in Jesus, we then know how to care for one another. Speaking into one another's life is no longer awkward. It is discipleship. It is care for one another. It is loving one another to good works. It is growing in maturity alongside of one another into the fullness of Christ. That's not possible apart from the dwelling work of the Holy Spirit. So we must start there. If we're going to be meek, man, we need to know that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So with that, let's look at, uh, or better yet, before we get to the practical stuff, let me give you one example. This is Philippians 2, right? This is Philippians 2. Uh, this is Paul writing, and uh, this is verses 5 through 8. He's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about how Jesus is super meek in this, right? That, that's a paraphrase. But he's talking about how Jesus, his character is meek, and ultimately what he does. And so this would be my uh, exhortation to you and me a part of that. Number one, or number one, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The first thing Paul is saying, he says, man, have the mind of Christ, so that's an identity issue. We've been talking about identity for 12 months on purpose. That is an identity issue. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Here it is. Here's the crux. And he goes on to say, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He's saying, man, God became man, did not consider himself equal with God. Instead, he offered himself as a sacrifice, as the perfect sacrifice, by humbling himself. So when we're talking about meekness, yeah, we're talking about humility. We're going to be talking about humility. Here we go. Let's look at the practical stuff. Some of you are very practical, right, man? Just tell me what to do. I get it. The Holy Spirit, right. Tell me what to do. All right, here we go. Here are eight things. Same thing. It's not the only things. I'm sure you can come up with a better list of not add more things to this. And these are not in order. It's not like they get harder. Eight things that meekness is. Number one, a teachable spirit. Oh, man. All right. Meekness is a teachable spirit. What does that mean? It means that meekness is needful for reproof. That means that you are an individual who needs or can take instruction, who can receive instruction, who can even receive admonishment. Some of you, including myself, right, don't like any one of that. You don't want to receive instruction and you don't want to receive admonishment. You rather acknowledge that, yes, I am sinful. And when it comes to your pride, it's really like an elephant in the room, but everybody knows about it, but you're just not doing anything about it. It's like an elephant with a collar. You're like, yes, this is my pride. Hi, pride, but I'm not going to do anything about it, right? That is someone who is not teachable. 
A teachable spirit is an individual who knows that they need reproof, that they need instruction, that they need rebuke, that they need admonition, that they need to be lovingly called out to repent of their sin. That is a teachable spirit. And it's not just in the hyper-spiritual. You could be, or in the spiritual realm, you could look at this in the practical, at your job. Man, are you a teachable spirit? I didn't ask you if you were the owner. I asked you if you were a teachable spirit. Are we those individuals? Man, as parents, are we teachable spirits? One of the things I hate the most is when my son calls me out. I hate it when my son calls me out because that means he's caught me, right? He, like, I've, like uh, I'm weak, I'm, I'm this other individual. Or when my son makes points about something that I did or something that I said that go against values that we've taught. In those moments, I am not good at receiving that admonition, right? Which makes me not a teachable spirit, which then sometimes I repent of my pride and sometimes I apologize to my son and that's n- never good, that it's just sometimes, Right? Are you a teachable spirit? Number two, man, are you, are you humble? Now, don't answer. Because if you're like, yeah, you're not, okay? Okay? <laughs> okay, you're not, all right? And if you're here, and as we go through these things, if you're like, man, yep, you know, that's really good. These other individuals need to hear this. You know who needs to hear this? My mom, my sister, my friend, right? No, these are for you. I'm not talking to anybody else but you. Okay, And so when we're humble, I think one of the best definitions of humility is in Philippians 2, where Paul says, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but uh, consider others as more important than yourself. Consider others as more important than yourself. I think that's a beautiful and wonderful on-point definition of what humility is. And part of the reason we struggle with humility is because, man, we want to be right, we want to be on top, we want more power, we want all of these different things. But the thing that we don't want at all is to consider others as more important than ourselves. Man, you'll compromise on your beliefs. You'll throw in some Jesus sprinkles just to say that it's kind of biblical. Just to justify your behavior. And then when someone brings it to your attention, it's the last thing you want to talk about. Are you, would others say, I should say that way, right? Would others consider you humble? Number three, righteous anger. I read it this way and I love, here's a great definition for righteous anger, okay? Righteous anger is being angry about the right thing at the right time for the right amount of time. Say that one more time. Righteous anger is being angry about the right thing at the right time for the right amount of time right? That's what it means to be righteously angry. Man, the Bible doesn't say that we can't get angry. In fact, one of the things that we see in Psalm 4 and Ephesians is be angry and do not sin, right? I think that admonition is because many of us tend to have an anger problem. Now, if you have an anger problem, before we even talk a little bit more about righteous anger, if you have an anger problem, here would be my question to you. What is it that you're afraid of? Most often, when anger is a manifestation or, man, that's your go-to, it's because you're protecting something. 
What is it that you're afraid of? Be honest. Man, I'd love to talk to you about it. These are things that we worked through a couple of weeks ago with some of the guys on our team. What are you afraid of? I don't know. I, you could tell me whatever. Maybe it's failure. Maybe it's not being needed. Maybe it's being perceived as something. I don't know. I, I don't know. But what are you afraid of? Right? Because when we look at righteous anger, we can look to the example of Jesus and we can see, yeah, man, he got angry. He was, he was tough. Right? There's that one point the disciples are with him and he like walks away. He sits down. He's making a whip, being very patient, right? He's making a whip. So he's angry about the right thing because people had like, uh, um, oh, what's it called? They were having like a pulga at the, at the temple, right? And so he's really angry about it. So he's angry about the right thing, right? And so he's angry about the right thing at the right time while the pulga has opening hours. And so he's building, he's making this whip. He goes over and he flips tables open. He dumps cashier's boxes all over the place. He says, man, my father's house is a house of prayer, not of Pulgas, right? He's like, this is all paraphrases. You're not going to find this in the ESV. And so like he, he says all of those things. But what we see Jesus do in that time frame is that he is angry about the right thing at the right time for the right amount of time. He addresses it. He calls them out and then moves, moves forward. Sometimes when it comes to anger, not only is it something that we're afraid of, but it is something that generally rules our life, that you will bring it into relationships, that you will bring it into um, uh, different scenarios in your life. And he, he moves from it. He addresses it. He knows that it's an issue and then moves forward. Some of you will bring it into relationships. Some of you will bring it into friendships. Some of you bring it into the work and justify it instead of answering the question, what is it that you're afraid of? Number four, gentle. All right, here we go. When it comes to gentle, man, I'm talking about a lot. I'm talking about speech. I'm talking about tone. I'm talking about care, okay? What I loved about Jesus is that he was both tough and tender. And so when we're talking about being gentle, we're talking about being tender. You can care for one another. You can have a hard conversation with someone and not be mean about it, all right? Now, Briefly, let me talk to the dudes. You could read the word gentle. You could even read the word tender, and it's not going to come across as manly. And you're going to use it as some dumb excuse to say that I am not gentle because that's not manly. And you're really just masking it and really telling everybody else. And this includes myself. I am preaching to the choir that we're just jerks. So stop using like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not gentle. I'm just, I'm just a jerk. You are. It's not funny anymore. It's not funny anymore. It's not funny that, man, oh, gentle, that's something that's not manly. I didn't ask you about your masculinity. But sometimes we abuse it as an excuse to justify how much of jerks we are. Now, on top of that, that doesn't excuse the ladies. Man, I have seen some ladies who are very vicious and mean, and man, they will say, I'm not gentle, I'm just intellectual. No, you're mean. You're mean. Okay? Like, just like the guys, let's stop making excuses. Let's put it on the table. Dudes, at times, we can be jerks, and so stop saying like, oh, I'm just not gentle. I just tell the truth. No, you're a jerk. Okay? Ladies, same thing. Let's put it on the table. Man, let's address it. Let's look at it. Let's repent. 
right? Let's repent and be like, man, I'm just not, I'm not gentle. I just, I just tell the truth and, you know, I connect with it. No, you're just mean, okay? Let's put it on the table. Now, both of us, let's repent from that. Let's repent from that and actually see that as a value. Let's see being gentle as a value because we see Jesus who is tough, right? We just talked about his Bulga outbreak, right? We see him tough, but then we also see him tender. Sometimes he has hard conversations, right? But he loves people so well in that, right? Sometimes he has a hard word to share, but he doesn't belittle you, right? I think sometimes we really wave the flag of religious freedom, be like, man, I'm just going to tell you the way it is. No, you're just being mean. You're just being mean. So let's repent of that. Let's, let's be a people who's actually gentle. And in addition to that, when it comes to being gentle, using that same excuse that we use, like, oh man, I just want to share the truth. Man, that's just an excuse to speak openly and poorly about someone. Sometimes that can be misconstrued as gossip. Sometimes that is just malice and slander. And we use it as a, say, a way of saying, oh man, I just, I just like to be real and authentic. No, you're mean. So please, let's, let's repent of that. Let's actually see this as a value. Number five, submission. When we talk about submission in terms of being meek individuals, we're talking about our submission to the word of God. That's, that's ultimately what we're talking about, our submission to the word of God. When we say that we believe God and we believe his word, we are saying that we are coming under the authority. When we use that word belief, we're saying we're coming under the authority of that belief. And as a result, as a result, we are, our conscious now is held captive by the word of God. This means we don't compromise. That doesn't mean we don't learn. That doesn't mean we don't grow. That doesn't mean, man, we learn new things. But what I am saying is that when it comes to doctrinal truths, we don't compromise. And I think this is an area where many times we as Christians really jack it up because we compromise, because we separate the gospel from everything else in our lives. Because the gospel applies to us when something goes wrong. The gospel applies to us on Sunday mornings. The gospel applies to us at community group before we pray, right? The gospel applies when, I don't know, someone is sick, right? But when it comes to things that are a little bit deeper to the core, we tend to separate it. Whether it's social issues, political ideologies, right? Uh, when it comes to relationships, right? Where you could look at marriages. Oh man, the gospel is separate even in the marriage. Man, if you're living with your boyfriend, if you're living with your girlfriend, you're separating the gospel to justify some behavior, right? You separate it. That means that we're not submitted to the word of God. That means now we're licensing the word of God. We're on one extreme, you have legalism where we add to the word of God, right? Now we're going to the other extreme. Now we're licensing the word of God. We're picking and choosing what we like, it's not an individual, not only is that not an individual who is not submitted to the word of God, but who probably isn't meek. Number six, self-controlled. 
Uh, when it comes to being self-controlled, man, this is, this is where, where sometimes um, we're getting angry and we're getting fired up and we say, I'm just passionate. No, you're just not self-controlled, okay? <laughs> you're just not self-controlled. An individual who is self-controlled, right, is able to look objectively and say, okay, this is fact. This is feeling. I'm not saying feelings are bad. I'm not saying feelings are dumb, but I am saying feelings are secondary, so we need to look at facts, right? That is an individual who is self-controlled, right? That their passions are managed. Number seven, forgiveness. I want to talk about two things in light of forgiveness. And I'm actually going to go kind of backwards on this. Number one, an individual who is uh, meek is an individual who forgives others. Now, that could be a blanket statement in a church. Man, forgive others. Right, yes, amen. Let's go to the next thing, right? No, we're going to stay here right? Forgiveness means forgiving others. Now, here's what I want you to know. I'm not talking about consequences. I'm not talking about practical stuff or logistics. I'm not talking about any of that stuff right now. I am talking purely and simply about forgiving others, right? Plain and simple. I'm sure you can think of individuals who maybe you know, this includes myself, who maybe you know that you need to forgive and you haven't. And maybe you got a ton of reasons for that. Same thing, not asking you for your reasons, right? If you find it difficult to forgive someone, to forgive others, Thomas Watson writes that we are to look to our own sin in light of what God has done. Because it is going to be difficult, right? Practically speaking, sometimes it will be difficult to forgive someone else. And so what he says in that moment is, then reflect on your own sin and reflect on what God has done. That God has sent his son who came into human history as the man, Jesus Christ, who lived the life that we could not live, died the death that we actually deserve. Uh, and in exchange, he takes on our sin, gives us his righteousness. And in addition to that, hooks us up with grace that you and I cannot earn that we did nothing, that the only thing you and I contributed to our salvation was our sin. That's, that's it. And so in light of that, when you forgive others or someone else and you find it difficult, look toward your own sin. Because if we're talking about meekness, we're able to mourn our own sin, right? That progression. We're able to mourn our own sin and mourn what it does. It separates us from one another. It separates us from God. It leads to death. Look to your own sin in light of what God has already done. And then forgive. Okay? Number eight, last one. <clears throat> repentant. An individual who is meek is an individual who is repentant. We were talking about repentance yesterday. A few of us got together. We were doing some work. And we were looking at Matthew 3, 8. And in Matthew 3, 8, uh, Matthew writes, um, let your fruit, this is a paraphrase, let your fruit be consistent with repentance. And so we began talking about that. And it was actually Everett who pointed out that when we are in a state of repentance, that's when we're in a state of brokenness. We are broken over our sin. We're broken over what sin does, kind of like what we we're talking about mourning. We're broken over what our sin does. We are broken because we have um, 
committed treason, cosmic treason. That's what Sproul says about sin, that we have separated ourselves from God. And ultimately what we are doing in repentance is not only are we broken, but we are convicted by our sin. So the fruit that now is produced should be consistent with our repentance. It is out of conviction that we do these things. It's out of what God has revealed through his word that we do X, Y, and Z. It is out of what God has revealed to us through prayer that we do X, Y, and Z. Fruit that is consistent with repentance. Man, if you are finding it difficult and you call yourself a believer, man, you would say, man, I am a Christian. You're finding yourself in a place where it is difficult to repent or repent toward others, my fear for you, Christian, is that your heart is or has become callous and hard. That would be my fear. That your heart has become callous or hard. Right? And so we must come to this place where man, in our repentance, we recognize the depth of our sin. We recognize our brokenness and our need for Jesus. And we recognize what Jesus has already done for us. So then we can forgive others so that we can be free and liberated from this prison that we, that, that, that we construct ourselves so that we would accomplish his will, so that his glory would be made known. Not talking about consequences. Not talking about logistics right now. I, I don't know your situation. Maybe there might be other things that need to happen afterward. I'm not there yet. We're, we're, we're not there at all, actually. We are just talking about you, your heart, and your relationship with God. That's what we're talking about. And so those are eight things to look at when we walk through being meek. So here would be my challenge to church before we get into our final thoughts. Here is my challenge. You guys ready? Nobody is, because nobody wants any of this. All right, here we go. Okay, this week, someone's really excited. Thank you, whoever that was. All right, here we go. This week, this week, community group, uh, discipleship, one-on-ones, whatever. You're going to hang out with another Christian. That should be hopefully easy, all right? Could be your spouse, could be a friend, but whatever. And I want you to look at that list. You could add other things, but I want you to look at that list. And I want you to talk about meekness, and I want you to ask the hard question, uh, where, where am I dropping the ball? So we're going to work on being teachable, all of us. So you're going to ask your spouse, your friend, whoever, hey man, where am I, where am I dropping the ball in this? And because we're all working on our teachable spirit, we are going to receive what they tell us. If they say, man, I need you, or not I need you, but they're like, man, I think, uh, man, you, I, I think you have an anger problem. Well, you know what? Like, you're not going <laughs> to, you're going to receive it, right? You're going to receive it. And if you need to pray before that conversation, please do, right? But you are going to receive it because we are going to develop our teachable spirit with one another, right? All right, that's number one. The second thing. If you don't have non-Christian friends, you should. They're cool, okay? You're going to hang out with your non-Christian friends. And you're going to talk about meekness. You're going to talk about maybe even this list. And you're going to say, hey, man, where, uh, where do I drop the ball? 
and let them from an outsider look in, speak into you, and you will receive what they say. You're not going to make an excuse. Right? We are not going to make excuses. We are not going to push back. In fact, we will repent. Amen? All right, you said it. You said... <laughs> All right, here are my... Uh... Here are my last thoughts. Actually, I'm lying. Those aren't my last thoughts. There's a second part to this verse. It's called inherit the earth, right? <laughs> so I will dive quickly into this and then jump into my, my final thoughts, right? So he says, man, those who are meek will inherit the earth. So what does it mean for uh, believers to inherit the earth? I'll give you two quick things. Number one, as Christ restores and redeems all things, those who are meek will find blessing and favor in that work. We actually prayed it earlier today. As his will is accomplished, the meek will inherit the earth because they will be in the presence of Jesus and will delight in the abundance of peace. We prayed for this earlier when we said, uh, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right? Or he said, what was the beginning? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, right? What we are saying in that is we are saying, our desire as Christians, our desire as those who follow Jesus, our uh, core is that his will would be accomplished here as it is in heaven. That is what we are saying. And in the midst of his restoration or him restoring and redeeming, calling things new, Revelation 21, we get to be in his presence and we get to delight we get to delight in the abundance of peace. Because that's what we prayed earlier. We prayed that his will would be accomplished. Not that you would pass that test, not that that's bad, not that you would get in that relationship, not that it's bad, not that you wouldn't do X, Y, and Z, but that our deepest desire would be that his will would be done. And so here are my final thoughts. Two things. Number one, Number one, to lack meekness is to lack grace. To lack meekness is to lack grace. It means it's a, it's a condition of your heart. And before we close, let me, let me read to you. This is James chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I think I got it wrong. No, 16, sorry. <clears throat> sorry, verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. Verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. To lack meekness is to lack grace. So by having others speak into you, our hope then is that we would be able to receive it, repent of our sin, and pour out the grace that we've been extended. Meekness is a result of the grace of God to the individual 
and a pouring out of that grace onto others. Let's pray. Lord, uh, when we talk about, and when we talk about meekness, man, that, that, that's hard. And it's hard because we don't like it. It's hard because it means now we invite others into the brokenness of our life. And that's good. That's really good because because your son Jesus entered human history, entered into the brokenness of our lives so that things would be restored. So that means we don't have to fear this. Our trust is in you. And as we grow in our understanding of you, or we grow in our love for one another, it's, it's at the same time. And so we don't have to fear these conversations. We don't have to shy away from these conversations. In fact, these conversations should draw us closer to the promises of your word. These conversations should draw us to the grace that we find in your word, to the grace that you have given us freely. These conversations should draw us closer to our relationship with you. These conversations should remind us of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, that he is at work, that he is not done, that he will complete this work. And as we come alongside one another, we're not just caring for one another, we're not just discipling one another, but we are growing into the fullness of Jesus as we come beside one another as one body and one church. Lord, as we move into a time of tithes and offerings. This is where we give you our stuff. This is where we unclench our fist. This is where we stop uh, thinking about the control we think we have. And this is where we continue to worship you. Where we continue to worship you because of what you have done through Jesus. That on the cross, Jesus gave the ultimate form of generosity himself. And so you call us to be generous. You call us to be faithful. You call us to be sacrificial. So that we are not held down by materials or finances, but so that we make much of Jesus. We make much of the mission and more would come to know your name. Lord, we thank you for this time. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.